Good morning, friends. I am grateful to be here and sharing with you all today. Most of you all know that I've been back in Texas for a few weeks after what was a truly great trip to my mom and dad's place in Wisconsin for their golden anniversary on June 16th. While I was there, it was so life-giving to see my brother, my sister, I got to meet a new nephew, um, I got to see many relatives and friends, uh, some of whom I have not seen for several years. And as we all came together, uh, we had a shared goal of celebrating something truly joyful, and that is that my parents have been married for 50 years, which is no small thing. While the trip was an incredible and a much-needed opportunity to celebrate my parents, for me, the trip also became a sort of pilgrimage, uh, because on this trip, I revisited people and places that I hadn't seen, some of them for many years, and it was wonderful to remember some of the people, the places, and the events that built me in my younger years. One of those places is a place called Sconewood Christian Retreat Center. That's a place that our church went many times. My youth group went there sometimes. Uh, we would go to swim. Our church would have worship services there. We camped out there one time, which I'm going to tell you about. Um, and one of our last days in Wisconsin last month, my dad's gospel quartet sang an outdoor concert at this place at Sconewood. So we went to watch the show. And it was really special for me to go and see a place where I had done some growing up myself and had experienced a few memories too vivid to forget. There was this one time that my youth group camped overnight there. I stayed up talking the whole night. Some of you are not surprised. Um, it was a very long night. Uh, I literally had not slept at all, so the next morning we sat around the campfire and I fell asleep in my chair. Um, that was a poor move. Uh, but I barely noticed, because I was somewhat asleep and somewhat awake, that my, Stephen, my friend Stefan uh, put something on my head, something small, wriggly, scaly. <laughs> there was a snake on my head. Uh, not my favorite moment. Uh, in fact, that was the morning that the boys in our group eagerly confessed that they had the night before put a number of snakes in the girl tent. Uh, so when our youth leader, Janelle, calmly told them to remove the snakes that had spent the night with the girls, uh, the boys went hunting. They trapped whatever they could find. Uh, I think they found about 10, but then admitted that when they were done, there were a few still unaccounted for. So you all can imagine the seriousness with which I was checking my pillowcase when I got home, even though I had not slept in this tent. Uh, going back to that retreat center, that was one of the many memories that I recalled. But I actually found myself spending most of the night thinking about another memory that took place at that retreat center. Because Sconewood Christian Retreat Center was actually the place where I was baptized. And I was anxious to revisit the waters of my baptism for all the memories that I have carried forward from that place, some of them traumatic, some of them not, it's really the lake that has most stayed with me. I was baptized as a young person, very young, but I was old enough to remember it. And as you know about your own baptism, my baptism marked me. I've never been able to forget the significance of that event. For years, I've carried with me not only the memory 
not, not just being baptized in the water, but the memory of knowing that there was somebody there with me. There was somebody marking me, somebody choosing me, and that somebody has never let me forget it. I have the memory that God was working in me at that time. So last month as I stood on the dock at this lake where I was baptized and I dipped my toes into the very cold water, I was reminded of where it all started for me and how that experience of God's presence through it all has continued to be foundational for me. This morning we are going to look at two texts about foundations, about beginnings, that speak to the same idea and answer this question, what does it take to be built up into God's kingdom? Our second reading comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Jesus said, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As you've already noticed this morning, our texts today are both parables. I'd like to say just one thing about parables at the outset before we dive into them and their meaning. Parables are stories, we know that, but they're stories that are really a lot like poems. Poetry is meant to enlarge our understanding and to illuminate something, and yet also to preserve the mystery of a thing. Poetry doesn't dissect, it paints a picture. Usually, poems focus on intricate details of something we are already familiar with. We find ourselves appreciating the familiarity of a beautiful scene that we know. And yet, simultaneously, we find ourselves standing in awe of how much we do not know about the thing. Poetry dives into the smallest elements of the thing we examine, yet it makes it bigger than we have ever known it before. And parables seem to function in the same way. Parables are a lot like that, like the poems that we read. So I'm excited to dive into the simplicity and the wonder of these two really wonderful parables. The one we have just read is Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. This text holds the parable of the wise builder and the foolish builder. Do you know this one? This is a parable we often teach our youngest children. It is important, and it has a clear interpretation. It's easy to teach. The story shows us that life is a path with a fork. It is a wood where two roads diverge. It is about choosing wisdom or choosing foolishness. So much about the story is straightforward. There are two houses, then there are storms, and only one survives those storms. In fact, as we listen to this parable, one of the things that stands out is how much these poor people's houses have been through. As I read the parable this week, I thought to myself, very seriously, I hope this guy is friends with his insurer. The text reads, the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house. Does it sound to you like this guy lives in Texas? (laughs) 
Sounds that way to me. This parable feels, parable feels real to me, uh, starting with that weather. The core of the parable really is at the outset. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The buildings together provide a metaphor for wise living or foolish living. In this parable, we see in our mind's eye the wise builder and his work. He gets up early to haul fresh lumber. He gets up early to gather needed materials and to put in the steady work until it is ready. We can see this builder at the end of his day, getting ready for sleep, feeling the good kind of tired, knowing that his day was spent with worthy work, knowing that he would never regret how he had spent that day because this investment was going to pay off. Also in this parable, we see the two houses, both on the morning after a storm. One is enjoying the morning sunshine, the freshly watered earth, and the security of having made it through a very long night. The other is decimated. The stark contrast in the parable is a forceful reminder that Jesus is not the accent wall to the house. Jesus is not a pop of color. What is Jesus? This parable says Jesus is the whole thing. Jesus is the floor. Jesus is the subfloor. Jesus is the supporting beam. Jesus is what keeps the structure above ground, keeps the groundwater out from the bottom, and provides a barrier to erosion. The parable speaks to us clearly, saying, wise people build a life on Jesus' words as the very ground beneath their feet, and orienting ourselves to Jesus as the core, so that our attitudes, our actions, our habits, our words, all come from that knowledge of Jesus. That's time-consuming, but it is the bedrock of real life. And once we have become listening doers of Jesus' words, we can help others to do the same. Right? Because that's our call, is it not? To make disciples, young and old, as we teach them to listen to all that Jesus said and obey all that he said, to be those listening doers. And of course, that's a large task. But this is the great commission Jesus gives his disciples, just later in Matthew, to teach others to listen to everything Jesus says and to follow it all. That is his great commission for the disciples, and to us, it's our greatest commissioning to work all of Jesus' words into our own lives and then teach others to do the same. Some of you know that right now in the life of the church is the time when the education elders and Kelly, our youth director, and I call teachers for our young people and our adults for the next school year. So right now, Kelly and I are doing a lot of thinking about who is going to be teaching our youth, who is going to be passing along our faith this year. We have a lot of important things to teach our children this year. I'm going to give you a really quick snapshot because it's exciting. In Sunday school, our K-2 through class is going to learn about listening to God. They're going to study Abraham's faith journey. They're going to learn about Advent, about Easter, about what it means to be baptized, about what it means to follow Christ, and about the early church. Our third and fourth graders are going to learn about Proverbs, prophecy, parables, Advent, Easter, hospitality, and confession. 
our fifth and sixth graders are going to dive deep into the big story of the Bible, spending the entire year learning about the arc of the grand story of the Bible from creation to revelation. That's a big task. And when you think about the kind of person that would be a great teacher for our children, do you think about someone like the person in this parable? I do. I think about the wise builder. I want the person for whom Jesus is everything. I want to call someone who is doing the long, obedient work of laying a strong foundation. If our young people are going to build that rock-solid foundation, we need some wise, diligent builders to commit to them, to pour into them, to invest in Christian education, and faithfully show up for the next generation of young builders. But there is also a second picture. There's a second parable this morning. The second picture is also the kind of person that we might look for. And that is someone who scatters seeds. I'm going to read this four-verse parable from the NIV translation. Mark 4, 26 through 29. Jesus also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. This parable starts with just a man scattering seed. To clarify, some translations say farmer, Some say man, as though maybe this is something that requires a lot of training. Maybe something just anybody could do. But that's the job for this man. He scatters. And in fact, after that quick scene of action, the man who scatters is present for the rest of the story, but only as an observer. Notice with me in the story that what he does is so small compared to what is set in motion after the fact of scattering. Now what happens in the story is the seed grows. It says night and day, whether this man sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. So now it's a seedling. This is a seed with sprouts and a solid chance of survival. How exciting it must be for this man to see those first signs of fruit. The seed is alive, it's sprouting, it's growing taller, growing stronger. And with the growing confidence of and viability of the once tiny seed, grows the confidence that it's going to make it. When it's a seedling, it just seems so fragile, but it has everything that it needs to grow the first leaves. And if it gets into good soil full of nutrients, it can come to full maturity. Rather emphatically, Jesus says in the text here that the soil produces all by itself. The man in this parable scatters seeds, but of course he can't grow them. He doesn't know how to make even one seed grow. Not even a farmer can make a seed grow. That is the work of an outside party. Out of all of Jesus' astounding parables, this one in Mark 4 is my very favorite. This little parable grabbed my attention years ago. It's very short, 
but it's one for the ages. I think I will be sitting in my rocker one day, appreciating and still pondering this one. Is there anything that grabbed a hold of you in this? I think what has gripped me most over the many years that I've loved this parable is six words. Though he does not know how. There is a mystery to the work that is being done. And actually, at this point, it doesn't even look like work. At this point, it just looks like mystery that is creating and developing even at night when this guy is totally unaware. Ultimately, this man is totally dependent on an eternal active mystery, mystery that is active when he is at his least useful. So those are the words I'm going to be chewing on for some many, many years. This parable is about a growing seed, and it meets us in this mystery of our own existence here. We live lives that sometimes seem mundane and material, yet sometimes seem immortal and miraculous. We take on these big projects, we pour blood, sweat, and tears into them, but sometimes, somehow, we end up with much more than we put in. Where our skills fell short, something else came in and filled the gaps, didn't it? Something quiet and unexpected and ultimately absolutely needed. Those of us who lead and teach do the work to prepare lessons. We teach classes, we take time week after week, And sometimes things go exactly according to plan. Sometimes things go in the completely opposite direction, and that's good. Sometimes somebody asks the right question and leads us to the right conversation that we didn't have in mind at all. There is a fundamental trust in Mark 4 on the part of the person who can scatter and walk away, who can take a break and go to sleep know that they don't have to make that seed grow. That person trusts in the mystery that grows the seeds more than the elements that would destroy them. It takes trust over time as the plant grows stage by stage. But I bet that guy knows the seed he planted is good and the soil can be trusted to give the plant all that it needs. The person who scatters liberally and then waits and rests is a person with profound gifts of trust and hope. I think this is said very well in a short poem by one of America's favorite poets, Wendell Berry, who is himself a farmer, in his poem entitled February 2, 1968. He says, In the dark of the moon, in flying snow, in the dead of winter, war spreading, families dying, the world in danger, I walk the rocky hillside, sowing clover. In the midst of all that concerns, there is hope for the future, and the one who sows is symbolic of that hope. Their role is small, but it is a beacon that points to a larger reality at work that brings life in a cold world. When I think about the kind of people who can make a lasting impact On our young people, I do think about the builder. And then I also think about this kind of person. 
I think about someone who works, who prepares, and I think about someone who plants, rests, trusts, and when necessary knows when to step back and observe the work of the real grower of seeds. The second parable about the growing seed makes things seem a bit out of our hands. We are such a small part in growing something to maturity. And maybe it does seem like a great contrast from Matthew 7's parable, which firmly emphasizes the largeness of our responsibility to set the course right from the start. We live these lives of seeming contradiction, don't we? Sometimes the spiritual life can feel like it's all work. And yet sometimes there is a, complaint, a change that completely takes over that feels effortless. And it's like wearing an easy yoke and a burden that is no burden at all. Have you experienced that? Sometimes God transforms us when we're not looking, even when we're not awake. These are two truths that together show us something truly beautiful about the way God meets us in this vital work that we do, both in our own discipleship to Christ and in our discipling of the next generation. In the parable of the two builders, we see this diligent person building a rock-solid foundation for their life. They survive absolutely everything that comes. What kind of person is needed to teach the next generation? Yes, that kind. That parable asks us, will you place God at the very core and do that diligent work for yourself and for the sake of others? In the parable of the growing seed, we see an unworried man scattering seeds, then going to bed, resting in peace, and after some time, enjoying a harvest. What kind of person is needed to teach our next generation? That one. This parable asks us, will you trust God to your very core? Will you have faith in his mysterious, quiet, faithful work, both for yourself and on behalf of others? Imagine how the youth and children of our church that we are discipling might be impacted by adults who both live solidly in the work and in the rest, who display deep commitment and deep trust. Because at the end of the day, the ministry that we do, the work that we provide is so critical, but it's actually the smaller of the two offerings. The parable of the builders reminds us that yes, it costs us to build a life just around Jesus that is undiluted and uncompromising. But the parable of the growing seed frees us to see that our work is far outmatched by God's generous, omnipresent working. As the Protestant pastor Matthew Henry wrote many, many years ago, God carries on his work insensibly and without noise, but insuperably and without fail. Amen.